0: something to note, all of the groups covered on this show operate in secret. The details included in this episode are based on extensive research, but ultimately can never be 100% verified, except by society members themselves.
1: In mid-July of 1943, legend has it that a lone American fighter plane dipped low over Villalba, Sicily a golden banner bearing a large capital L fluttered behind its tail.
0: As the plane passed over the center of the small town, it dropped a parcel wrapped in nylon fabric.
1: The package was addressed to Don Calogero Vizzini, Bilalba's powerful mafia capo, or boss. When he opened it, he found a gold silk handkerchief embossed with the same black letter L.
0: It was the signal Bitsini had been waiting for. He dispatched a message to a fellow mafioso in the nearby town of Musameli.
1: His letter reportedly read, "On Tuesday the 20th, Turi will leave for the fair at Cherda with the calves. I will set off the same day with the cows, the oxen and the bull. Prepare the kindling for the fruit and organize pens for the animals." Tell the other overseers to get ready.
0: It was a code. Calves meant motorized forces. Cows stood for troops. Bull, commander. And oxen, tanks.
1: Vizzini's cipher wasn't just a message. It was a battle plan. He instructed Turi to lead the American cavalry to the city of Cherda. There he would find Vizzini and the rest of the Americans waiting.
0: And so, if the story's to be believed, the Cosa Nostra, Italy's secret underground government, entered the fray of World War II. Together, the American armed forces and the Mafia would take over Sicily.
1: Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson.
0: And I'm Greg Polson.
1: And this is Secret Societies, a ParCast original. Every Thursday, we examine history's most exclusive organizations from around the world and try to shine a light on these mysterious groups. From the Illuminati to the Order of the Nine Angles, we'll explore how much impact each secret society actually had on the world around them.
0: This is our second episode on the Cosa Nostra, the Sicilian Mafia.
1: Last week, we traced the Cosa Nostra's progress as they rose to power in the shadows of Sicily in the mid-19th century. When Benito Mussolini suppressed the Mafia after World War I, they survived by partnering with their American counterparts across the Atlantic.
0: This week, we'll chart the Cosa Nostra's resurgence in their homeland. After they established an international criminal empire, the Mafia faced a new challenge, a no-holds-barred crackdown by the Sicilian
2: government.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
0: New season out on Spotify soon. On September 1st, 1939, Nazi Germany invaded its neighbor Poland, sparking the powder keg of World War II. The main players were the Allies and the Axis powers.
1: The Axis powers of Germany, Italy, and Japan fought to expand their reach across the globe. The Allies joined together to resist the Axis's domination. By the war's end, the major Allied powers included the United Kingdom, France, the Soviet Union, China, and the United States.
0: Even though Italy was part of the Axis, the Cosa Nostra was aligned with the Allies. By the time the war started, the Mafia's true power base was in America. And when the Allies arrived on Italian shores, the Sicilian Cosa Nostra was ready to help.
1: On July 10, 1943, British and American forces landed in Sicily for Operation Husky. The Allies surmised that if they controlled the southern Italian island, they could easily march onto the mainland.
0: By August 17th, the Allies had fully liberated Sicily, and according to rumor, they did it with a little help from the Cosa Nostra.
1: It may seem strange that the Allies partnered with a criminal enterprise, but the Mafia's knowledge of Sicily and hatred of the Fascists made them a valuable asset. Between Mussolini and the Cosa Nostra, the Allies chose the lesser of two evils.
0: Depending on who you believe, Operation Husky owed its success to the man who knew the ins and outs of both the American spirit and the Sicilian Mafia. Some say that the mastermind behind the Allies' first move against fascist Italy was L himself, New York mob boss, Lucky Luciano.
1: The story of Lucky Luciano's L-marked plane is a larger-than-life plotline straight out of a Francis Ford Coppola film. As for whether it was really responsible for coordinating the Allied attack, sources vary.
0: Lucky did play a part in the invasion of Sicily, but it's hard to say how large his role was. After all, he could only accomplish so much from prison. In 1943, Lucky sat in a cell in Dannemora, New York, seven years into a 30 to 50-year sentence for running a sex work ring. But something happened in those seven years that inspired Lucky Luciano to cooperate with officials.
1: By 1943, law enforcement had asked several times for information on his colleagues in the criminal underworld. They offered to reduce his sentence if he talked. Afraid of the Mafia's retribution, Lucky refused.
0: But he thought information that helped the war effort would be just as appreciated, and talking about Sicily wouldn't put a target on his back. His goal wasn't just to get out of jail early, but to land in Sicily with the United States Navy, Lucky dreamed of having power and respect again. He wanted to be a cultural liaison between the Allied forces and the Cosa Nostra.
1: Word of Lucky's plan traveled up the chain to Captain Wallace S. Wharton, the head of counterintelligence at the Office of Naval Intelligence. Though Wharton didn't want to unleash a mafioso back on his native shores, he had few others to turn to.
0: At this point in the war, the military had almost no information about Sicily. Italy was a hostile nation, and it was impossible to scout the Italian coast without starting a battle. Wharton figured Lucky's information was better than nothing. The American military launched a secret intelligence program, codenamed Operation Underworld.
1: Through Lucky's Mafia contacts in New York, Wharton interviewed several recent immigrants from Sicily. He learned valuable information about the island's people, customs, and geographical layout. He even had some of his subjects sketch maps of the coastline near their native towns.
0: When American and British forces touched down on Sicilian soil on July 10th, Lucky's information helped guide them to their targets. While the United States Department of Justice didn't let Lucky land with the Allies, his presence was still felt in the invasion.
1: One man, Lieutenant Paul Alfieri, had a special mission on invasion day. He arrived at Licata, Sicily, in search of a Cosa Nostra friend of Lucky Luciano's. We don't know the contact's name, but for clarity, we'll refer to him as Russo.
0: Alfieri followed Lucky's directions to a house in Licata. He knocked on the entrance, not knowing what to expect.
1: A hard-faced group of Sicilian men opened the door. Though they didn't point a weapon at him, Alfieri immediately felt threatened.
0: But before the men got the wrong idea, Alfieri explained that Lucky Luciano had sent him.
1: Upon hearing Lucky's name, the men relaxed. Smiles broke out on their faces, The Koska, or clan's leader, Russo, clapped his hand on Alfieri's shoulder. He explained that any friend of Lucky's was a friend of his.
0: Russo gathered his men and gestured for Alfieri to follow him. They left the house and crept through the streets of Licata until they came to the Italian Navy's local headquarters.
1: Several German soldiers stood guard outside, pointing their Mauser rifles towards the road. Alfieri thought, this could be a problem.
0: But before he could formulate a plan, gunshots rang out. The Germans fell to the ground. Blood trickled from the bullet wounds in their chests, mixing with the dust on the ground. The mafiosi had shot
1: them. Wasting no time, Russo waved Alfieri forward. The group broke down the door and slipped inside.
0: Alfieri and Russo's men spread out, scouring the building for anything the Allies could use. They heard a shout from a rear office. One of the Mafiosi had found a safe.
1: Another man produced a stick of dynamite from a bag. With practiced hands, he attached the dynamite to the lock, inserted a fuse, and lit it with a match.
0: The men blew the safe open. Inside, they found important Italian and German military documents. Alfieri took Axis defense plans, maps of Sicilian minefields, and a small radio codebook from the safe. Before he knew it, Alfieri was back with his unit, handing his commander the smuggled documents before the Italian Navy even realized they'd been robbed.
1: The Licata mission provided essential information for the Allied takeover of Sicily. They had a diagram of the Axis' strongholds on the island, and the key to understanding their coded radio messages.
0: As far as we know, Lucky Luciano didn't orchestrate any other missions, besides Paul Alfieri's in Sicily. But his influence extended elsewhere. Some suspect the Allied invasion of Sicily went so smoothly because the Allies had friends behind enemy lines.
1: And while there's no empirical evidence connecting the mafia to the Allies, the invasion's aftermath set the Cosa Nostra up for success.
0: As the Allied forces marched across Sicily, they removed fascist mayors and bureaucrats from their posts. They installed influential community members in the recently vacated positions.
1: These new officials were chosen quickly, Often only a local Sicilian translator vouched for their standing in the community. Many were Cosa Nostra leaders who'd been forced to lay dormant during the scourge of fascism.
0: When the Allies left, the Cosa Nostra picked up their illegal operations where they'd left off, more than 20 years before. With Sicily freed of fascist rule, the Cosa Nostra could once again take control of the island.
1: And a new leader was waiting in the wings. In 1946, in thanks for his service to the Allies, the state of New York freed Lucky Luciano. But that didn't mean Lucky was welcome to stay on American shores. The United States deported him to Italy. From there, Lucky helped orchestrate a smuggling ring between the Italian Cosa Nostra and their American counterparts.
0: But it was far from smooth sailing ahead. Just over the horizon lay crackdowns, bloody infighting, and a trial for the very soul of the Cosa Nostra itself.
1: Up next, in the face of a government suppression and an underworld war, the Cosa Nostra struggles to survive.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit AnytimeFitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: After World War II, the Cosa Nostra reclaimed its place in the Sicilian underworld. With a little help from American troops, mafiosi once again held valuable positions at the top of local government and
1: commerce. Meanwhile, the American Mafia flourished as well. In the post-war years, it profited from the illegal heroin trade between the eastern United States and Cuba. But when Fidel Castro took control of the island in 1959, he drove out American businesses, including the heroin operation.
0: If they wanted to keep the money rolling in, the American Mafia needed a new center for its product.
1: Sicily was the perfect place. Unlike in the United States, the island's heroin use was negligible, and the Italian government didn't care about the drug entering the country. The Cosa Nostra could utilize a cigarette smuggling operation they already had to bring refined heroin from France into the country.
0: Around that time, a wave of Sicilian immigrants traveled to America. They were the perfect mules to transport heroin to American mafiosi.
1: With the new heroin trade, wealth flowed into Sicily, lining the Cosa Nostra's pockets. The Mafia had survived Mussolini's decades-long eradication and humiliation tactics to thrive once again.
0: Sicilians treated this new iteration of the Cosa Nostra as an open secret. The Mafia controlled every aspect of the Sicilian underworld, from protection rackets to drug smuggling. It also expanded to legitimate businesses, such as building contracts in Palermo.
1: But even with its widespread influence and the terror it struck in Sicilian civilians, authorities wouldn't prosecute the Mafia or even admit it was real.
0: Some officials were frightened. Those who examined the Cosa Nostra too closely had a habit of turning up dead.
1: Others were silenced by their own greed. The Cosa Nostra bribed government officials, prosecutors, and police to look the other way.
0: And post-war, there was a widespread conception that mafiosi mostly only hurt or killed other mafiosi. For the most part, that was true. Many viewed the murders as the trash taking itself out.
1: But after the events of June 30th, 1963, attitudes toward the Cosa Nostra changed forever.
0: The morning of June 30th, an anonymous caller phoned the Palermo police headquarters. He complained that a car had been abandoned at the edge of his land in Shakuli, a suburban enclave close to Palermo.
1: Immediately, the police were on alert. The Greco family, one of the most powerful cosce in Sicily, lived in Ciculli. As the caller kept talking, their suspicions were confirmed. The abandoned car was an Alfa Romeo Giulietta, the same model the mafia had used for other car bombs in Palermo.
0: The police assured the caller that someone would be out shortly to investigate.
1: A small group of Palermo police and carabinieri, or military police, drove up the road to Shakuli. They passed lush groves of tangerine trees as they climbed up a hill. Finally, they arrived at the top, where the Giulietta awaited.
0: A metal gas tank full of butane sat in the back seat. The butane had a long fuse attached to the top, burned at one end.
1: It was exactly what they feared, a car bomb.
0: Someone had left it on this isolated hill in Shakuli. The Carabinieri soon discovered why. The car had a flat tire. Whoever planned to detonate the bomb abandoned it before reaching their target.
1: The police called in the Italian army engineers and asked them to send help. Within two hours, two bomb disposal specialists had arrived. They cut the fuse and told the gathered men that the Giulietta was now safe to approach.
0: A Carabinieri lieutenant walked to the rear of the car to inspect the trunk. He reached down to unhook the latch, keeping it closed.
1: When the lieutenant opened the trunk, he accidentally detonated the TNT packed into the back of the Giulietta. The blast had a radius of more than 100 meters and left scores of blackened tangerine trees in its wake.
0: All told, seven men died in the explosion, four carabinieri, two bomb disposal experts, and one policeman.
1: The explosion was just the latest in a series of Wild West-style shootouts and car bombs that had plagued the streets of Palermo since 1962. The Grecos, the Cosca of Shakuli, were fighting another faction of the Cosa Nostra for control of Palermo's heroin trade. After the explosion on the hilltop, the authorities couldn't let this feud continue.
0: On July 2nd, two days after the explosion, Palermo police descended on Shakuli. They arrested 40 men and confiscated a stockpile of weapons.
1: Throughout 1963, police and Carabinieri arrested 2,000 people in connection to the Mafia war in Palermo. For the first time, the Italian parliament took concentrated actions to stop the organization. They set to work with the Parliamentary Commission of Inquiry into the mafia, a task force dedicated to investigating and prosecuting the Cosa Nostra.
0: The Shakuli bombing marked the beginning of a new paradigm in Sicily. The Cosa Nostra was no longer a secret society, terrorizing the island from the shadows. Now, the Cosa Nostra was being hunted.
1: In the decade following the initiation of the Anti-Mafia Commission's inquiry, the Cosa Nostra suspended much of its activities. They disbanded their own ruling body and reduced the heroin trade. In Palermo, the Cosa Nostra even stopped collecting protection money.
0: It looked like the end for the Cosa Nostra. But in reality, the Mafiosi were playing the waiting game. They had outlasted Benito Mussolini and fascism they could outlast the Anti-Mafia Commission, too.
1: With the Cosa Nostra in hiding, complaints against it went down. The public pressure and drive for justice that led to the Anti-Mafia Commission dissipated. The attitude in Sicily was one of acceptance. If the Mafia no longer posed a threat, why try to fight it?
0: Though it existed for 13 years, the Anti-Mafia Commission made no real headway in the fight against the Cosa Nostra. Author John Dickey summarized the Inquiry's impact best when he wrote, It came to seem less like a response to an emergency than a permanent and dreary part of Italian political life.
1: By the mid-1970s, the Kosce were itching to get back into the criminal game. As long as they were careful and didn't attract too much attention, they felt they could resume their operations.
0: The Corleonesi, the cosca in control of Corleone, Sicily, wanted to be at the top of the new power structure. Brutal capo Luciano Leggio led the Corleonesi. However, the authorities were determined to keep the Cosa Nostra from rising again.
1: In 1974, the police arrested Leggio on charges stemming from the anti-mafia crackdown after the Shikuli bombing over a decade earlier. They had convicted him for his involvement in a string of murders of rival mafiosi and sent him to jail.
0: But that didn't stop Leggio. From his prison cell, he directed his subordinates, acting capo Salvatore Totoriina and enforcer Bernardo the Tractor Provenzano to continue cutting down rivals and recruiting allies from among the cosche.
1: By the end of the 1970s, two cosche stood in their path The Bontades and the Incerillos, the stage was set for a war. One that divided the Sicilian underworld in support of one cosca or another. And in the spring of 1981, the massacre began.
0: The Cosa Nostra nicknamed the war La Matanza after an ancient fishing technique.
1: For hundreds of years, fishermen had used a special method to catch bluefin tuna during their annual migration. First, fishermen created a perimeter around a school of tuna with their fishing boats. They cast a specialized net system that funneled the 500-pound tuna into smaller and smaller nets.
0: The fishermen then hauled the tuna towards the surface and beat them with clubs and harpoons. They aimed to stun or kill the fish to make it easier to pull them out of the water. The sea turned red and turbulent, filled with blood, awful and dying tuna.
1: La Matanza, the name for the technique, roughly translates to the slaughter. Similar to the violent chaos of the fishing nets, the early 1980s mafia war was the bloodiest conflict in Cosa Nostra history.
0: Luciano Leggio's plan was brutal in its simplicity. First, on April 23, 1981, his hitman gunned down Stefano Bontate, the head of the Bontate Cosca, as he waited in his car at a red light.
1: Just over two weeks later, Salvatore Inzerillo, head of the Inzerillo Cosca, met the same fate as he left his mistress's house in Palermo the hitmen shot him just yards away from his newly purchased bulletproof car.
0: The Corleonesi cut the heads off the Bontate and Encerillo families, their greatest rivals, in one fell swoop.
1: To seal their victory, the Corleonesi went on a rampage, painting the countryside red, with the blood of Bontate and Incerillo supporters. They killed dozens of mafiosi, at least judging by the bodies that were found. Many more simply disappeared, most likely murdered and buried in shallow graves beneath the citrus trees.
0: But the carnage didn't stop there. The Corleonesi didn't want to leave any survivors sympathetic to the Bontates or Inzerillos to retaliate. They killed wives, siblings, and even the parents of enemy mafiosi.
1: The most notorious murder was the death of Giuseppe Inzerillo, Salvatore Inzerillo's teenage son. At his father's funeral, the boy is said to have sworn that he would avenge his father.
0: Shortly after Salvatore's death, Giuseppe went missing. Years later, former mafioso, Tommaso Buscetta reportedly testified that a Corleonesi hitman murdered the boy. He brutally chopped off Giuseppe's arm as punishment for the boy's threat. Then he shot Giuseppe in the head and buried him in an unmarked grave.
1: By the massacre's end, the Corleonesi had murdered hundreds, with some estimates totaling more than a thousand. When the dust cleared, they controlled the entire Cosa Nostra.
0: But the uptick in violence hadn't gone unnoticed. Once again, the government formed an anti-mafia commission to fight back against the Cosa Nostra. But this time, they had a formidable weapon on their side, prosecutor Giovanni Falcone. And he'd take the mafia down, or die trying.
1: Up next, the Cosa Nostra finally faces the Italian justice system. Now, back to the story.
0: For decades, the Cosa Nostra controlled the local Sicilian government through a combination of crime, intimidation, and assimilation.
1: As we covered last week, Omerta, the Mafia's vicious code of silence, helped maintain the status quo. The obfuscation around the Cosa Nostra prevented any prosecutor or magistrate from getting close enough to convict the society's members. For most of the Mafia's existence, many even refused to believe such a sophisticated, hierarchical organization existed.
0: In 1962, the Italian government realized that the only way to limit the Cosa Nostra's control would be to fight back with a dedicated legal task force, the Anti-Mafia Commission. But the authorities didn't provide the support they needed to eradicate the Mafia, and the Commission failed to make significant changes.
1: By the 1980s, Italy had learned its lesson. To stop the Cosa Nostra, the government couldn't just amend the laws. They had to wage a full-out legal war against the Mafia.
0: Their strategy had two important parts. First, in 1980, Parliament introduced an intentionally vague law that included the term Mafia-type association.
1: This law allowed the state to fight back in a real way after the bloody devastation of La Matanza, the war that gave the Corleonesi clan control over the mafia.
0: Even if they didn't have the evidence to convict mafiosi of a specific crime, the state could charge them with mafia conspiracy. In this way, they could link individual players to greater criminal actions and take more mafiosi off the street.
1: The second part of the strategy was gaining insight into the Cosa Nostra's inner workings, information that law enforcement had never gotten in detail. After the violence of La Matanza, the climate of the Mafia changed. The code of honor that had governed it no longer held sway. And Tommaso Buscetta became the first Italian initiate to ever break the code of Omerta.
0: Boucheta had long associated with the Rilos and the Bontates, the coastshade that were wiped out in the war. In 1980, before La Matanza broke out, Italy gave Boucheta parole after he served time for trafficking drugs. To avoid the imminent bloodshed, he fled to Brazil.
1: Upset that such a powerful rival had escaped their grasp, the Corleonesi took their ire out on Boucheta's family. In 1982, they murdered Boucheta's nephew, brother, brother brother-in-law, and two sons.
0: In October 1983, when Italian officials caught up to him in Brazil, Boucheta decided he had nothing left to lose. He asked to speak to anti-mafia prosecutor Giovanni Falcone.
1: Shortly after returning to Sicily, on July 16, 1984, Tommaso Busceta sat down for a meeting with Falcone. Busceta famously opened with a simple sentence. He said, I am a mafioso.
0: With those four words, Busceta knocked down the wall that sheltered the Cosa Nostra from any attempt at disbanding it. He became the first pentito, or mafia informant, in Sicily's
1: history. Falcone interviewed Busceta for 45 days. Busceta named Cosa Nostra members and laid out its hierarchy from top to bottom. He described the intricate codes of conduct and honor that ran the Cosa Nostra and connected the dots between extortion rackets, drug trafficking, and high-profile murders on the island.
0: Buscetta's information was invaluable. Finally, the Italian government had a law to prosecute the Mafia as a whole, and the information to do so. Backed by physical evidence, as well as Bouchera's testimony, the state indicted 475 men for crimes related to their membership in the Mafia.
1: The trial convened on February 10, 1986, in the Sicilian capital of Palermo. It was unlike any case the Italian courts had ever seen.
0: To reduce the risk of bombings, the Italian government built an underground bunker for nearly $20 million to hold the trial. Tunnels connected the arena-sized courtroom to the Ucciardone prison, where many of the defendants were held. It could allegedly even withstand a missile strike.
1: In the first weeks of the trial, pandemonium reigned inside the courthouse. More than 300 defense lawyers waited their turn to enter their client's pleas before the four judges. At the same time, dozens of civil lawyers tried to file suits. According to Italian law, defendants could be tried for criminal and civil cases at the same time.
0: Throughout it all, jeers and boos rang out from the 30 specially built steel cages at the rear of the courtroom. There, hundreds of accused mafiosi sat, shouting at the judges, cheering the defense lawyers, and generally causing mayhem.
1: The Maxi trial, as it came to be called, was a necessary chaos. State prosecutors Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino wanted to prove the vast, intricate criminal conspiracy that linked all the defendants. To do so, they needed everyone in the room. They wanted to link murders, theft, racketeering, and money laundering operations as all part of the Cosa Nostra's bloody business.
0: Mafia heavy hitters like Luciano Leggio, Toto Reina, and Bernardo the Tractor Provenzano were all tried for crimes ranging from mafia conspiracy to murder. Reina and Provenzano were among the many Cosa Nostra members not physically present at the trial.
1: When the initial trial ended on December 16, 1987, it took the judge close to an hour to read all the court decisions. Of the 475 men on trial, 338 were convicted.
0: 19 of the Cosa Nostra's most powerful capos were given life sentences, the most severe punishment in Italy at the time.
1: As the verdicts were read, the spectators in the courtroom murmured softly to each other in excitement. They were afraid of openly celebrating. Though many mafiosi were going to jail, others still roamed free. If word got back to the Cosa Nostra that the spectators had cheered at the convictions, they could be attacked or killed.
0: In spite of the looming threats, the Maxi trial devastated the Cosa Nostra. The state imprisoned a majority of the organization's entire upper echelon, leaving the day-to-day business to low-level soldiers. Now that the anti-mafia laws had been proven to work, the Cosa Nostra lost its ability to intimidate its victims like they once had.
1: Finally, Sicilians dared to dream that the Cosa Nostra's reign had ended.
0: But even though the organization's head had been cut off, its body was still in the midst of its violent death
1: throes. In response to the Maxi trial, a new wave of violence spread across Sicily, But instead of targeting enemy mafia Kosche, the victims were judges, prosecutors, and government officials.
0: Toto Riina still hadn't been captured, and he ordered hits on the state magistrates involved in the trial. On May 23, 1992, Riina orchestrated an attack in which Giovanni Falcone, his wife, and their police escort were murdered by a bomb hidden under the highway outside Palermo.
1: Months later, on July 19th, a car bomb exploded on a Palermo street, killing prosecutor Paolo Borsellino. He was there to meet his mother, who lived nearby, and had just parked with his police escort.
0: After the magistrate's deaths, Palermo cried out for justice. People hung banners in the street that read, Falcone Lives, and Stop Killing the City.
1: The Italian government responded swiftly, desperate to stop the Mafia before it regained its power. They sent 7,000 Italian soldiers to Palermo to take over policing duties. The Palermo police were then free to track down Riina and his associates to arrest them for the murders of Falcone and Borsellino.
0: The police who failed to protect the two magistrates were stripped of their duties. The government tried to convince more mafiosi to turn pentito, promising a witness protection program. They also worked to prevent capos from running their cosce from jail.
1: And finally, Italy tried to root the Cosa Nostra out from the government. In 1993, one-third of Italian parliament members were under investigation for corruption and mafia ties. Italy completely upended its own legislative body in the quest to rid itself of mafia influence.
0: After all the turmoil, Falcone's legacy was one of peace and safety for the Sicilian people. Before he died, he set up two national bodies. The first was the Direzione Investigativa Antimafia. Similar to the American FBI, the DIA brought together police, Carabinieri, and other law enforcement to trade intelligence and fight against the mafia.
1: The second was the Direzione Nazionale Anti-Mafia, a national network of anti-mafia prosecutors. Thanks to Falcone and the work of all the people involved in the maxi-trial, Sicily has finally admitted the mafia is real and a threat, and they've taken active steps to end it once and for all.
0: In the years after 1993, the Cosa Nostra's roar fell to a whisper. With Toto Reina imprisoned, the role of boss of bosses fell to Bernardo, the tractor Provenzano. Uncle Bernie, as he was also called, had a much less ostentatious management style than Toto Reina.
1: He practiced a method he called submersion, meaning he wanted to keep the Cosa Nostra under the radar. Under Provenzano, rackets became small, murders were infrequent, terrorist attacks disappeared. The Mafia intimidated its enemies through robbery and arson, rather than direct violence.
0: When authorities arrested Provenzano in 2006, leadership fell to several deputies. So far, they've continued Provenzano's methods, but that hasn't stopped the government from coming after them, too. Armed with the twin powers of the DIA and the DNA, the Italian government has methodically placed much of the Cosa Nostra behind bars.
1: The Cosa Nostra has all but disappeared from the headlines, and that's exactly how they want it. But just because they're quieter and smaller doesn't mean they're not still dangerous.
0: Though hampered by the courts, the Cosa Nostra still operates from the shadows. As of this recording, the Cosa Nostra is trying once again to regain its power over Sicily and possibly all of Italy. And it's using a worldwide health crisis to its advantage.
1: At the end of 2019, the novel coronavirus first appeared in Wuhan, China. By the spring of 2020, the virus had spread rapidly across the globe, infecting millions.
0: Italy got hit especially hard. Most of the country shut down completely, and over 34,000 Italians died from the disease. Many lost their jobs and couldn't get expedient access to coronavirus relief funds from the government or the European Union.
1: The mafia reportedly approached some small businesses, offering loans and bailouts in return for shares or jobs for their men. This is a classic Cosa Nostra tactic, The business will be saved, but when they're making money once again, the Cosa Nostra will have control.
0: And the mafia will have the men to enforce it. To reduce the risk of spreading the disease, the Italian prisons released many inmates, converting their sentences to house arrests. Some of these partially liberated criminals are mafia capos and soldiers.
1: After the pandemic winds down, Many of the Cosa Nostra leaders might once again be in their own communities. With all their newfound economic interests, the pandemic's end could signal a new era for the Cosa Nostra.
0: Though Italy may survive the coronavirus, the disease of the Cosa Nostra still remains. And every day, it's spreading. Thanks again for tuning in to Secret Societies. We'll be back next week with a new episode.
1: For more information on the Cosa Nostra, amongst the many sources we used, we found Cosa Nostra, A History of the Sicilian Mafia, by John Dickey, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Secret Societies and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Secret Societies, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Secret Societies on Spotify, just open the app and type Secret Societies in the search bar.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Secret Societies was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Secret Societies was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Maggie Edmire and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.